Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Certified Life Coach and Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 24, The Marathon. Last week, I told you a little bit about my heating situation. It was really cold when I was recording that episode and I didn't have my heater working upstairs. And so I ended up buying a little space heater and it made me, it made me think of a little bit of a comparison to our life. And that is that sometimes when something isn't working, we feel like we have to overhaul the whole entire system. Like we just have to dig in there and find the root of every issue and just overhaul everything. It would be like, I'm going to go out because my heater's not working. I'm going to go out and buy a brand new heater and have it installed. And sometimes it's just a little small solution, like buying a little space heater for less than $30 to use when I'm up in this room. And then the irony is that once I bought that space heater, the the weather warmed up. So I guess the really the moral of the story is buy a space heater and it will get warm. Well, maybe not really. (laughs) But I I wanted to look uh, back a little bit on my experience in the accident that I had. I This morning, I actually recorded an episode for another podcast, the Inspired Women podcast. And we went, it was so interesting because when the host, Megan Hall, called when we started the conversation, she said, I just want to let you know that this episode is going to air on May 13th. And I was in shock because that is actually the anniversary of the accident the day that my, the anniversary of the day that my children died was May 13th. It was Mother's Day. And on, in 2007, that fell on May 13th. So in some ways, it feels like I have two anniversaries every year. I have the May 13th, the actual date, and I have Mother's Day. Those are both days that remind me. Of course, I, you know, that's not that I have to be remind, reminded, but those are both dates that um, are significant. And when she told me the date, oh, we were both just flabbergasted that it just happened to be on the 12th anniversary of the accident. But I don't think there's any coincidences. And so I think that in some ways, it's really important that on that particular day, that episode is going to air And I'm going to be sharing my story and rebuilding about having this horrific, horrible thing happen, but, and then being able to rebuild my life and to have a life that I enjoy now and that I don't live in continuous grief and sorrow. And I think that's important on the, on the 12th anniversary, but I, I do want to look back at the accident, the things that happened and that initial trauma and the initial grief and everything that happened, you know, so at first everything was just messy and horrible and dark. And it's, and in fact, it's so bad. It was so bad at the beginning that 
I didn't know how I was acting or, or what I was doing or saying. And, and I really didn't even care because it's one of those places where you just realize that this is your opportunity in life to feel and act however you want to feel and act. You feel entitled <laughs> to show up however you feel that you want to show up. It's like, it's like our brain says this horrible thing happened. So therefore I get to be whatever and do whatever. But then as time goes on, like in the, in the beginning, like there was just was not even enough brain space to process anything, to even have expectations for myself. And I know I had expectations. I know that I, I still, you know, got dressed for the funeral and wanted to, I remember what I wore. I remember the thought process of what I was going to wear. I remember, I still remember some of those details of things that I was trying to coordinate and, and the funny way that sometimes it almost felt like at the funeral or when people were visiting, it was almost like, it was almost like I was trying to comfort them. If, if that makes any sense at all. I don't know if you had that experience. I think it's because people are so devastated for you. They're devastated too, because, because they know you and they know your family and this, this horrible thing has happened, but it's almost like they're so horrified too, that you're trying to reassure people that yes, this is horrible. And I'm, I feel awful and I'm having a really hard time, but I'm going to be okay. And it's, it's, almost like I felt like I needed to reassure people that I was going to be okay. Then as time went on and I started to adjust to what my new life looked like, I started to be more aware and more conscious and more self-conscious. I started to wonder when I showed up somewhere how people expected me to act. So in other words, if I was crying or upset I felt bad because I was, I was making other people uncomfortable. Or if I was happy or laughing, I felt bad because I, I thought people might think that I didn't care enough about my kids to still be sad. Like, I mean, these are the, the crazy things that go through your head and, and you just don't even know how to act. Cause I, for me, I felt like I was living in a bubble. Like all of a sudden my identity was the mother who had lost two children on Mother's Day. That was my whole entire identity. That's what I thought. That's what I felt. So everywhere I went, I was putting on that role, the role of the mother who lost two children in a horrific accident, the mother who was driving the car when her children died. When that took over my whole entire identity, I, like, I, I didn't know what to do. If I acted one way, I felt bad about that. If I acted the opposite way, I felt bad about that, bad about that. So I just kind of showed up in this numb state all the time because I did not know how to act or what to be or how to be. I wasn't comfortable in this role. I didn't know how I was supposed to act. Nobody gives you directions on how you're supposed to act in this situation. And so I just muddled through. And as time went on, more of my brain space was available for processing and for trying to make sense of things and for trying to establish some understanding. And, and then I started to have even more expectations or things that I needed to do and ways to be. 
And when we have all these expectations and we have all these other pulls, these are, these are pulls like going back to work, for example. Now that wasn't my particular experience because I was homeschooling my children at the time. So I wasn't working, but I did have a sense of obligation to get back to the homeschooling with my boys. That was super hard. And every day was just this experience of trying to figure out how I was going to show up that day, what it was going to look like. You know, it's hard enough when you've had this horrific experience to just go through your day to day, but then you add to that just the responsibilities of day to day. And you add to that all of the negative thoughts and feelings that you're having even outside of the grief, like the grief itself for the the loss of the children, that is a hundred percent expected and there all the time in those early days. But the added negative thoughts and feelings that I had about myself, about my circumstances, about how I was supposed to act. I mean, like I just said, if I showed up one way, I was upset. If I showed up the other way, I was upset. So I just was never comfortable in my own skin. I became totally uncomfortable in my own skin. The added pressure that I put on myself just added to the grief. And I was thinking about how Joe Dispenza talks about this idea of our body can become addicted to certain emotions. So when we have emotions, our body puts off chemicals. It puts off reactions. I mean, you know, like, let's say you've got to go speak in front of a group. What happens in your body immediately? As soon as you think about that task of having to stand up in front of people, think about what happens to your body. I mean, some people get sweaty hands, they get shaky, their knees start knocking, their stomach gets upset. These are physical reactions to thoughts and feelings. The actual thing itself did not cause these physical reactions. It's the thoughts and feelings that are causing the physical reactions. So I want to go back to that in a minute, but I first want to talk about this idea of the marathon. So just for a moment, I want to compare a marathon to trauma. There's obviously no comparison when it comes to the impact, but sometimes it's useful to take a physical experience and see how it might relate to an emotional, mental, or spiritual experience. It's it's much easier for us to see and explain the physical and even relate to the physical than it is for us to relate to something that's mental or emotional. When we say someone has the chicken pox, for example, we know exactly what we're dealing with. But when we say someone has anxiety, it's much more difficult to quantify. So that's why I wanted to talk a little about a marathon and the marathon runner, because while it's a mental experience, it is most definitely primarily a physical experience. And even if you've never run run one, it's much easier to relate to. So obviously a marathon is self-imposed. It's planned for. And most of the time we have little or no warning in trauma at all. 
But in trauma, we also bring, just like the marathon runner does, in trauma, we also bring everything we have to the experience. We bring whatever life experience we have. We bring our belief systems, our tools, our emotional, our mental, spiritual, and physical strength to that experience. And I do think that the experience we bring to trauma is something to consider Just like an experienced marathon runner is likely to have more resources to draw on than a novice, but similarly, a marathon runner who has not given themselves enough time to heal between events will be at a significant disadvantage. So there could be advantages and there's disadvantages based on the experience. And it's kind of the same thing with loss. Like, for example, I feel like the losses I had previously in my life prepared me to some extent. I don't think you can ever be prepared fully, obviously, but I do feel like to some extent it prepared me to deal with the death of my children. However, if those losses had been more recent and if I hadn't healed or recovered from those earlier experiences, it might in fact have been a detriment to my healing and my adjustment from losing my children. And we give everything we have to the trauma and grief. Just like the marathon runner gives everything to the race. Again, there's no real comparison, but but I hope that you can see where I'm going with this. Just like the marathon runner gives everything they have to the race, we give everything we have to the trauma and grief. We experience our trauma, our grief at 100%. We give all of our mental, emotional, spiritual, and even physical resources and physical reserves to our mourning and our adjustment. And it totally depletes our reserves. And that's to be expected. But it doesn't mean that we can't rebuild. And again, just like the runner, we need to allow enough time for recovery, enough time for healing. And I know, and I'm very sensitive to this, that sometimes people are uncomfortable using words like healing and recovery when it comes to losing a child. But I do believe there are ways to develop resilience and adjustment, which does bring healing and recovery. And once again, I'll remind you that healing and recovery doesn't mean that we go back to being the exact same person we were before. That would not be possible. It does mean that we come out on the other side or that we can come out on the other side a new person who will experience, still experience sadness and pain because of the death of their child, but can also build a life of incredible joy, enthusiasm for life, and hope for the future. So in the marathon example, the runner rests for up to a month. Obviously, grief is far different. There is no timetable. You will not find a chart that says if you experience A, B, and C loss, then your recovery time is X number of months or years. But in giving the marathon example, I just want to illustrate the importance, the importance of rest and rebuilding. So even though a marathon and a trauma are light years away from being on the same level of impact, I hope this example is helpful as you consider your own rest and rebuilding. As you go along, you may have, you may have people in your life that are concerned that you may be stuck in grief. People have belief systems sometimes that 
where they do have timetables in their head. They think, oh, it's past the year mark. You've, you've already gone past all of those experiences without this person that you've lost. And so therefore you should be better. And we know that that's not true, but being stuck in grief is a thing, but you may have people in your life that think that, that you're stuck in grief. And a lot of times when people say that they don't understand the trauma of your loss. And so they are totally unaware of the recovery time and effort it takes to resolve that overwhelming grief. But if you think you might be stuck in grief, I just want to offer a couple of things that have been identified as possibly indicating that this might be the case. But I'm, I'm going to share this with you with two warnings. The first warning is this is not meant to be a way of gauging someone else's progress. It's not up to it's not up to another person to determine whether or not someone is stuck in grief. And the second thing is if you're wondering about yourself, whether or not you might be stuck in grief, please, 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 please be so gentle with yourself. Be curious and be compassionate with yourself. These are some of the, some of the things that might indicate being stuck in grief. And this comes from psychology today. One is, extreme emotions many years later. Uh, so if, if someone lost a child, for example, many, many years ago, but still is having the same emotional upheaval that they had at the time of the loss, then that would be an indicator that they, you or they might possibly be stuck in grief. Another indicator is when people are uncomfortable with being happy. So if it's been some time, I, you know, I think in those first few months, this is pretty common that we're uncomfortable with being happy. It feels weird and unfamiliar almost to experience happiness after you've experienced a, a trauma like that. So in those early days, in those early months, it's not too much of a concern. But if that continues, if, if we continue to not allow any happiness into our life for months and months and years and years, then that could be an indicator that we maybe are stuck in grief, that we're addicted to that emotion that Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about the un, being uncomfortable with, with, um, happiness a lot of times has to do with feeling like we have to hold on to the grief in order to prove, in order to show that we loved our child. Another indicator of being stuck in grief is when a person starts to receive benefit from being seen as someone that's lost in their grief. Sometimes people, if they can, if they can kind of put on the, the victim mode, I know that's a little strong, but if they, if they put on this, this mantle of being lost in grief for, for years, then they can they're, they're kind of putting on the victim mode and, and basically saying, you know, I'm not capable of caring for myself. And so they, they benefit from that in that they're expecting everyone else to take care and to take responsibility and they're relinquishing their responsibility. Okay. Again, I'm just going to say, I'm just offering these things as clues, as information. 
I just want you again to be so gentle with yourself. If you're concerned that this might be you, then I would definitely recommend that you seek some outside advice on that. Because often instead of being stuck in grief, it's just maybe we're just not honoring the grief or we're trying to assign a false timeline. It's a very, very sensitive idea and it's a fine line between being in grief and being stuck in grief. So like I mentioned at the beginning, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about how our body can become addicted to certain emotions. For example, someone can become addicted to anger or they can become addicted to sadness or drama. Our body, if we get enough of that chemical mixture over and over and over again, then our body actually comes to crave the chemicals produced by those emotions. The way he he teaches is that our thoughts and feelings become a state of being. It becomes a personality. And I do believe there's a video where he explains this concept, and I'll add the link to that in the show notes, along with the other links from this particular show. I just want you to be aware of those traps that can happen. It's a trap if we swirl in grief and we never, ever, ever allow any positive emotion. It's a trap if we get used to being seen as the griever, and therefore there's no expectations. So these are just things to be aware of. But at the same time, it is so important and necessary that we give ourselves permission to grieve. We give ourselves permission to feel the sadness to mourn, to be able to get all of those emotions up and out. One thing that can be super helpful in getting the emotions up and out is journaling. And when you journal this way, where you've got a lot of like really hard emotions, then what you want to do is you want to journal those hard emotions and you want to be brutally honest about, you know, I feel sad because I feel angry because I feel disappointed because, and you journal this, but then that's, that's the act of getting it out, recognizing it, acknowledging it, getting it up and out and you get it on paper and then you burn that piece of paper or you tear that up into little tiny pieces and you throw it away and you're expelling those emotions. And this is not something that we do once and we're like, okay, I'm done. It's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on a daily basis, sitting down in the evening and just expressing all the emotions, all the things that come up. You know, I was talking about like how we feel sad because of our grief, but then that's not the only thing happening in our life. And then we can, we can have other thoughts and feelings that come up outside of our grief. And because our grief is so sometimes so overpowering, we can't even deal with all the other thoughts and emotions that we're having that are coming up. And then we just become consumed with all the negative thoughts and feelings. And if you can write it down, throw it away, write it down, burn it. It's symbolic of taking those emotions, getting them out of your gut, putting them on paper and getting rid of them. And again, this is a process. This is not an overnight thing. This is a process. It's a process of day after day after day. 
even after you get to that point where the grief is far away from you and you're not experiencing grief on a day-to-day basis, and now it has been changed to the point where you feel the occasional sadness, but you don't have the overwhelming grief, you can still do this same exercise. You can still do the same exercise of every evening taking five to 10 minutes and writing down all of the yucky stuff. I feel terrible because I feel judged because I feel aggravated because, and you just write down whatever's coming up for you. You write down whatever emotion, whatever emotion it is, you write down why you're feeling that way and you throw that away and it clears your soul of those negative thoughts and feelings so that you can feel lighter. You can feel more connected to yourself, more connected to joy, more connected to happiness. And you're doing something for yourself. You're taking care of yourself. So I want you to think about the marathon runner and how they give themselves that opportunity to rest and ask yourself if you've given yourself the time to rest. Years ago, I went through a divorce. It's been many, many years ago. And I remember in the evening during that time, my children were were really super young. I had three children at the time. They were very young. And I had this stereo system. Back in the day when the stereo systems were like the big speakers, I don't think we see much of that anymore, but I guess they're still out there. But now they have these little speakers that are super powerful and super technical and have all this amazing sound. But anyway, at the time I had these big speakers and I would lay on the floor with a pillow in my family room and listen to sad music. And it would, it would allow me that opportunity to just feel sad because I was working all day long and I was taking care of my children. And then I just needed an opportunity to just feel sad, to just experience the emotions that I was having. And I think that if I, if that's what I was doing all day, every day, that would be one thing. But to have that moment where I just went to that place where I allowed myself to feel sad, where I allowed those feelings to come up and allowed myself to, to bring them forward and out. That was a healing experience. When we cry, it can become a healing experience. But again, I just think of the marathon runner, think of the recovery, and recognize that it takes space and time and technique to truly address our needs, the needs that we have as a griever the needs that we have as a human being, having a human experience, having thoughts and feelings. Once again, I want to invite you to go to buildalifeafterloss.com and go to the work with Julie page and let's set up a time to talk. In just that one conversation, you'll come away with more clarity about where you are and where you want to be and what it might take to get there. And getting clear about those things can be extremely helpful. So I think just even that one conversation will be extremely helpful to you. I love spending time with you. Time with you on the podcast, time with you talking about what you want next, time with you on Facebook, on our page and our group. Anyone can join the Build a Life After Loss Facebook page. And I also have a special invitation for those that have lost children to join the build a life after lost closed Facebook group. It's a closed group because that's, it's just for 
those that have lost children. Remember, I believe in you. Have a wonderful week.